0: that they had um, finally identified Daisy Mae Tallman?
1: Um, I th- no, not
0: So her, so she disappeared, she actually disappeared in 1987. And her remains were found in White Swan, Washington. This came up like during our hunt for the keys stuff. Uh, Because she was, like, a set of partial remains that had been found in November of 2008 in Washington State.
2: Okay.
0: She disappeared from Toppenish, Washington, on August 30th, 1987. I don't know a lot about her. I just know she came up in uh, that hunt. And specifically, she was in – you may remember these, you may not. I I used to have these articles that were from very small reservation papers where – the FBI came out to do some stuff at different times and they ruled out a serial killer being active on the reservation at Yakima. Right. She was one of the featured people. It was from March of 2009, I think, and it just said federal probe. Uh, FBI says no serial killer on Yakima reservation. It was one of those things when I was I was working on Canadian cases for like a a different reason. They were talking about like Alice Ida Looney and she was the one who, her body was found in uh, Topanish in 2005. She had been wedged into a tree.
1: Yeah, I remember.
0: uh, Daisy May was in that list and then there was um, a couple other people in there. I want to say that uh, uh, Janice Wilson might have been in that list and there were a couple stabbing deaths like from the 80s, maybe, but Daisy was uh, was mentioned there. And, and it even said back in 2009 that like they believed they had found her skeletal remains, but that they were waiting for a DNA test to be available to confirm the victim's identity. So, anyways, my point is that these 16 cases they looked at, hers were one, they talk about it in 2009 as being someone they're trying to just confirm it, and they don't confirm it until January of 2023. That's a long time.
1: It is a long time, and I I don't understand the gap there.
0: I read a little bit about it, and it hasn't been released in a way that I looked at it and went, oh, now I understand it. The idea was they had to do some kind of genetic genealogy that was difficult to do uh, as far as confirming Relatives and getting them to consent to the tests and whatnot. I think what I think what it was was they had the remains, but they didn't have Daisy's DNA for any reason. So they had to do it from people known to be related to Daisy. Anyways, she is now officially identified as of January 2023 um, as the remains that were suspected to be hers that were found back in 2008. Anytime I hear about that, I feel better, uh, in a way.
1: Was she murdered?
0: Uh, it didn't go so far. It, let me see what it, the exact wording of that was. I think it just said that her death remained under investigation. Yeah, the cause of death is undetermined. Oh, Charlie Project hasn't. So they uh, same thing I just read, basically, but it says... They were identified by familial DNA in January 2023, and Charlie Project says uh, the cause of death is undetermined. She was 29 years old when she went missing. I don't know. I'm, I'm just glad the remains have their name back because then it's less of a mystery. And that was just a case that kind of haunted me a little bit. Her and Alice Ida Looney. But, you know, Alice Ida Looney is uh found and identified and all of that, but they still don't know what happened to her. A hunter found her body uh, under a tree or wedged into a tree on a little island at uh, what's known as Satis Creek. And uh, I think it's about 12 miles outside of Topanich. It's an FBI case that like has a lot of questions that they just didn't have answers to. I know every once in a while I've seen her mom talking.
1: Was um, her death ruled a homicide?
0: Alice Ida Looney? Yeah. It was investigated as a homicide, but I don't know that. Yeah, you know what? She's listed in, so so I have this long ongoing list. It's got dozens of um, tribal citizens in it, and she is one of the ones that's considered to have been murdered. Okay. Um, it, that's not like a hundred percent official, but they, they consider her case to be a murder. It looks like just, they considered it because of the discovery, the way the body was discovered. It seems like a murder.
1: Well, and that's what I was thinking of. I don't know what case I was thinking of, but I thought it might be hers because, uh, it made me think of a case where the body was like in a strange position. They'd ruled it. Maybe accidental or suicide. I'm not sure. It wasn't homicide and not or natural. And um, I thought it might be her case, but it's not. I mean, and that's fine. I just, I can't remember what case it is, but I remember going, that's what they think that looks like. Um, it should have been undetermined at the very least.
0: Well, at one point I got, I think I said her mom. I don't mean her mom. I think it's her older sister, maybe. I had gotten a report on a woman named Destiny Lloyd who her body was found between, she's also Yakima. That's the reason I bring her up. Um, Her body was found between Christmas and New Year's. I think in 2017 is when the body was found. And then about a year and a half later, I got a report about her case, uh, I was comparing it to something else that had gone on. She was a strangulation. And I noticed when I got that report that there was a forensic pathologist uh, listed uh, in some of the paperwork that came with it that was tied back to Alice Ida Looney. And that was a guy, if I remember his name is, I think it's either Jeff or Jeffrey Reynolds, Dr. It's either Dr. Jeff Reynolds or Dr. Jeffrey Reynolds, and he had written up that he believed Alice's uh, death was a probable strangulation. He said there wasn't enough evidence to support it outright as a homicide, but he wrote up that, I want to say her hyoid was examined and it had some kind of break in it that he thought it fit
1: strangulation. So that would make it a homicide. Uh, that just wasn't the case I was thinking of, but um, I um, I am familiar with her case. I just couldn't remember a lot of, especially the cases like what we're talking about here with Daisy May and Alice Ida Looney. A lot of the cases, unfortunately, um, the case, and I'm sure the case I was thinking of, you know, when they end up with that undetermined. Uh, Not a whole lot happens, right?
0: Yeah, for a number of reasons. Uh, Largely, I would say that the politest way to say it is is sometimes the resource allocations is not what you would expect in that type of homicide. I think that's a polite way to say
1: it. If it's undetermined, it's not a homicide.
0: Okay, but what I'm saying is in order to take it further and determine if it is a homicide, I it's will,
1: uh, highly I'll, unlikely. which one? It's okay. highly unlikely the resources will be used to turn what? an undetermined into a homicide.
0: There you go. that's thank you. That's the better phrasing.
1: <laughs> but, I'm just saying uh, like because and so it's one thing when the, it's a homicide, right? When uh, a medical examiner,
2: Yes. Uh, Looks
1: at it and says this person was uh, killed by homicide, right? Yeah. I would say that our laws require law enforcement to investigate those, right? Yeah. It's not so much for undetermined, definitely not so much for suicide or accidental. We've talked about this like at length, as far as like it depends on who the victim has advocating for their case. Yeah. Um it it depends on
0: location, jurisdiction.
1: Everything. It 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 literally is a crapshoot as yeah, far I'm, as like what the the outcome is gonna be.
0: I a hundred percent agree, and I have found all over the United States that particularly when it's native and in, indigenous populations, there can be a, a wide variety of stereotypes that are applied to make reasoning of not utilizing those resources, and it's annoying. Um, you know, this is particularly true in the Pacific Northwest uh, and in the dead center of the country. It's also true up in Canada uh, and in a couple of different spots. Uh, I mean, to the point they they've named the Highway of Tears homicides. You know, that comes up at some point in, in the stuff we're doing this year. I've done a significant amount of research into that. And there's no good reason except to say that, like, for various prejudices and problems with systems and bureaucracies and politics, um, that there's sometimes a serious shortfalling for people who suffer tragic deaths, let alone homicides. And it's, it's, it's very frustrating to look at. That having been said, uh, <laughs> we are... In the middle of the timeline for a serial killer in Florida, uh, which is another place that there are, uh, you know, there's a significant native population there. This has nothing to do with that. Uh, the guy that we're doing will eventually get to attacking uh, certain vulnerable populations. He's not there yet, though, in, in his timeline. Uh, the guy that we're talking about is a guy named Robert Joseph. Long, And if you look him up, and I'm, I'm just going to say this because now we're a couple episodes into this series we're doing, and, and he's come up in at least the previous episode. Uh, he's known as Bobby Joe Long, but his name is Robert Joseph Long. So if you go looking for like official documents on him, he's Robert Joseph Long. If you go looking for newspaper articles from, from that time or Wikipedia, I think maybe, they, I think they all call him Bobby Joe Long. But he is Robert Joseph Long, officially. Uh, Where we left off was in 1974. He had just gotten married, and he had a terrible accident that basically got him booted from the Army, which he had enlisted in the Army in 1972. He's out of the Army in 1974, and he comes up on his first arrest for a crime against women like an official crime against uh, women that he's going to sort of see following through. Uh, he had been accused of, of rape when he was 18, but he's 21 now, and at the end of 1974, he's arrested for battery against a woman or assault on a female. Um, and that person is his trusted friend, Cynthia, who he married, and someone that he had known since he was about 12 or 13 years old. Um, they got married. And um, she had given birth to their son while he was attending Broward Community College. But the specific place I left off was while Robert Long is unemployed after the Army and recovering from some very uh, significant injuries he had received in a motorcycle accident shortly after he got married in February of 1974, he devised a plan to begin meeting women through classified newspaper ads. So... These are basically personal ads that he's using. At first he's using it to essentially have a hookup. It's sort of like the old school version of like a hookup app on your phone, like Tinder or something. He's using, I mean, it takes a lot longer to post a classified ad and meet up with somebody that way. But, but that's what he's doing. He's meeting women um, at the end of 1974 to have sex outside of his marriage. Um, He's abusing his wife verbally and physically they they do end up reconciling to some degree and in 1975 when he is 22 years old she gives birth to their second child that's a daughter after that he moves the family down to fort lauderdale uh florida from where they've been uh they've basically been in a trailer just off the air force base uh that he was stationed at near miami at at homestead florida so he moves the family to fort lauderdale but he does not find employment he's unable to find employment so they kind of bounce around a little bit between places Um, he even looks for jobs not just in florida but from his home state where his parents are in west virginia and he's unsuccessful his parents while he's living in hollywood florida his parents in early 1976, they help him buy a house. And he has to some degree been successful with some of the classes he's been taking and some of the skill sets that he has. So in winter of 1977, he becomes a a fully licensed electrician. He's 24 years old when this happens. And he's even able to uh, finish up an associate's degree in x-ray technology at Broward Community College that he he attends off and on, even while they're, the family's bouncing around and his wife is um, having children. So that gets us to about uh, November of 1979. Uh, when he's 25, he's first hired on as an x-ray technician at a Northern Miami Medical Center called the Parkway Medical Center. Have you... I meant to ask you this, but I haven't. Do you have you spent much time in Florida? Yeah. So this is like the southern end of Florida, like that computes for you, like geographically, right? It does, yeah. Okay. So one of the places he had lived in here was Hollywood, Florida, uh, in the late seventies, which is essentially where the Adam Walsh case took place. So we've spent, you know, some time talking about this area before. In 1980, Cynthia is sick of uh, Robert's shit. Uh, they've been married for over six years at this point, but she ends up filing for divorce. The relationship described in court documents had become argumentative and abusive. And because of how Robert had so much trouble finding employment, they really had suffered from various financial concerns, even though uh, his parents had helped him purchase a home a couple of years earlier. He briefly moves out of the house into an apartment in Fort Lauderdale without uh, Cynthia and the kids when he's 26, and that's in June of 1980. But he runs into a couple of problems. The first problem is he loses his x ray technician job at the Parkway Medical Center in the summer of 1980. So he's not even been there a year, and he loses that job. He has a friend there named Susan, and Susan has a roommate, but they have some extra room, and they let Robert move in with them. Robert Long doesn't stay there terribly long. Um, At the end of the year, he moves out, and he moves in with a guy named Ted uh, Jensel. And for some reason, Susan follows them there. Robert's friend, Susan, follows them there. In the summer of 1981, when Robert is 27 years old, Susan accuses him of rape. So this is the second time in his life that he's been accused of sexually assaulting a woman. Now, the police there, they determine that... There's some evidence something has happened, but the prosecutor decides not to use it. The prosecution says that the evidence that the police collected and what they can put together about the case is insufficient to take it to trial. Two weeks after they kick these charges, Robert and Susan have a physical confrontation, and Susan later tells everyone that Robert... Pushed her against the wall and then threw her down a flight of stairs, basically. It's not a full flight of stairs, but it's multiple. It's like, it's basically from a flight to a landing. Um, it's a pretty serious assault allegation. And in October of 1981, Susan ends up filing a misdemeanor battery charge against Long. There's something going on with him here, and I would say that the trigger, while these students have put together this timeline, they sort of explore whether or not his head injuries have something to do with being his trigger. You and I in the last episode, we talked about that behavior being weird, and then I sort of explored whether or not the the circumstances of his first time in the hospital and his mom paying attention and taking care of him might've been brought back up by having this motorcycle accident that lands him in the hospital for a couple of months um, where he has a serious enough injury that they're considering amputating his leg. And you had pointed out that maybe he was trying to harm himself uh, at different times. And we, we sort of talked about that to some degree. We also talked about whether or not he might've just been this way the whole time and the hospital sort of a fishbowl where he's observed to some degree behaving like he was.
1: Right. And so, like, a question I would ask is so, is it more likely that a head injury would lead to a serial killer or that a serial killer would get a head injury? <laughs>
0: That's a right? and egg question. Yeah, no, I get it.
1: Um, and so, I feel like a lot of his behavior, um, now his head injuries, according to what we're looking at, started fairly young. Right. So there's not a good comparison of like before and after um, he pretty much is just the after. And so that, you know, it makes me wonder is, was he just a really reckless person? Right.
0: That's a, that's a really good observation. And I think, you know, so he's riding a motorcycle. He's clearly not a safe person. Like, I mean, he's running in the cars, running in front of cars.
1: I, I, He's either he's either reckless or he's oblivious, or he has, like, I, just, I don't really believe at, like, six or seven he was trying to commit suicide, but, like, he has a desire to hurt himself, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So one of those things has to be true just based on everything that happened to him. I don't believe that, like, he was just, you know, minding his business and – on his best behavior and all that stuff happened. Right. I I just don't believe it. And so, uh, I don't know why
0: he starts getting into the first level of deep shit when he is 27 years old and part of it, we're not really going to find out till later. I'm going to put it here in the timeline so people understand what's happening. Um, around the time that, you know, he's pushing Susan around and I don't know to what degree he was abusing her. I can only tell you what's said. She accuses him of rape and I'll be honest. I believe her. Um, I actually believe the unnamed person from the charge when he was 18 years old. I think that was him testing the waters.
1: I do too. Well, I don't think it was testing the waters. I think he was out of control. But he didn't get in trouble for it, right? Um, right,
0: right. And he didn't get any kind of punishment.
1: I haven't seen anything further from that except, like, there was an accusation made and then it, nothing happened with it, right? Right. But Have you seen anything else?
0: Out of the when he was 18 or with Susan?
1: No, with the first one.
0: Nothing comes of that. Nothing comes of this stuff when he's 18 years old. But
1: there's like not even any more information or anything is what I'm saying.
0: Correct. Correct. Okay. I just think, so there's a part of me that thinks like maybe he was accused of it and it's like literally a self-fulfilling prophecy more than it is like a figurative self-fulfilling prophecy.
1: Uh, he probably did something to that girl.
0: I think he did. I, yeah, I legit There's think no that, question. Um, I, I think he did something to her and I don't think – uh, I would, I don't think anyone will ever convince me like otherwise, um, when it comes to
1: the validity of the, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think her, adi- I think that she is, I think her accusation is valid.
2: Um, well,
1: given, but we get to see the whole story though. So, uh, yeah. at the time, you know, we talked about on, um, a, an earlier episode where we were starting this this whole journey, uh, how you know sexual assault in the eighties was not a big deal, um, or it it was taken so much uh, less seriously by law enforcement, right? Right. Yeah. Um, as far as like prosecution and actual punishment, we don't know what happened um, as far as this goes. We just know that there was an accusation made, and then nothing happened from there. Um, that did not help him at all.
0: No, it doesn't. And so, you know, I, I am all for giving the benefit of the doubt to certain people, particularly someone who he's got this extra X chromosome and he's got like serious problems with his relationships, but he's not doing himself any favors. His behavior... You described it as reckless, and I think that's a great way to describe his behavior, even as a teenager, which some teenagers are just reckless, but he just gets worse and worse and worse. I'll say this. He screws himself when he's 27 years old. He does two things. So the first thing that he does is he begins raping prostitutes in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area at this time. He admits to it. The thing about that is... Sex workers, even in the 80s, they weren't filing reports on him. They were not calling the police on him. Does that make sense?
1: So who does he admit it to?
0: So he admits it in the course of, like, his mitigation. What happens, and I'm sure people know this to some degree, when you're accused of something very serious and you start looking at very long time, Sentences, which is going to happen to him uh, soon. We're in 1981 right now. There's lots of things that go on where psychologists are brought in to examine defendants in order to give an accurate picture of what's happening with them. The biggest thing he has happened to him is in November of 1981. I cannot find this. It is not on its criminal record. I can tell you it's accurate because it comes up in the mitigation. The Radford folks had it in his timeline. I want to talk about it for a second because this was unusual for me to find this charge in 1981. So he's got this battery charge hanging over his head from Susan, the person he moved in with who accused him of sexually assaulting her. Who we believe And he gets a charge Of disseminating Obscene material To a juvenile Somehow He sends obscene material To a 12 year old Tampa girl And Police examine his phone records Which track back to the house Where he lives with his wife and children what the hell is he doing to send obscene material? I guess he's sending Polaroids or photos. and the- That would be my guess. I was shocked that didn't trigger like a postal thing. I don't know whether he was just giving her pornographic materials or if it was like photos of himself or what. Uh, that is the moment. and I And I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it this way. He probably wouldn't have been okay even through when he began raping prostitutes. I don't mean like okay as in moral and ethical. I mean, legally speaking, I don't believe there was going to be a lot of reporting going on there and he was not going to face a lot of charges going there. In fact, when I went through his entire criminal record, nothing mentions the time in 1981 when police were able to pinpoint that he had began to rape prostitutes. They know it happened. It comes up in the mitigation. He admits it to a psychiatrist or a psychologist.
1: Right. It, so that just means that nobody reported it, just like he said.
0: Right. So, but I think he would have got away with that. Well, what he, he did. What he wouldn't get away with is sending this obscene material to a juvenile. He pleads no contest to this. It is the start of his actual Florida criminal record when he pleads no contest. No contest means you want to be considered innocent, but you're acknowledging that the state has the proof to prove it. The proof is charged. Uh, Whatever he did to this girl is jacked up.
1: Sending her something? Yeah. Well, you know, what's so interesting to me like thinking about that. Okay, so you're saying this is a pivotal moment in um his uh criminal the criminal aspect of his life, right? Um because of this Is this the first thing he actually um pleads like I mean, it's not guilty, but he pleads no he pleads to? Is this the first thing?
0: Um it's so there's a plea agreement related to his wife that happens, but it's one of those that's like deferred prosecution type things.
1: Right. And it's probably uh domestic, but, um, so this isn't, this is criminal and think about like, and I don't know, um, think about today, right? We're in 2023. And like how many random, like, things that our 12 year olds in the world are exposed to yeah okay and like this guy not only so i personally i don't know what i would do but it would be highly unlikely i would contact the police under the in the event that like i was uh, a a child in my care received a dick pic or something. Right. Um, I would be, it'd be highly, um, unlikely. I don't know about you. You may call the police. I would make sure it stopped. Right. But, um, so I find it ironic, uh, because I would say probably like, I don't know, 500,000 12 year olds a day get something inappropriate from, Uh, An adult. I I don't know what the statistics are, but like, there's so much stuff out there. Right. Yeah. No, that's all I was going to say. It's just (laughs) that. Well, it's just that, like, I'm just saying it's ironic because like he sent a picture through the mail or whatever. And I don't we don't know the context of it. Right. He pleads no contest. And then like, it really is sort of, I mean, he had some hell going on before, but then it's like all hell breaks loose. Right.
0: Yeah. This is the first thing where a stranger accuses him of something. Everything else from what I can tell is all sort of either acquaintance or, you know, domestic in nature. This is the thing that is a stranger. So,
1: And are we
0: sure of that? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. She's a stranger. Like, according to everything I've read, she's a stranger. If she's some kind of cousin or something, it goes completely unmentioned. It says that police worked... Like, this had a detective involved. And I don't think a detective would have been involved if this was, like, his sister's cousin's friend. And he's from West Virginia, not Florida. Uh, This Tampa girl appears to be a complete stranger. He is... 27 years old at the time, no, 28 years old at the time, Uh, she is 12.
1: And so how did he find her?
0: I don't know. I think it was through classified ads or personal ads or they had somehow like met once but were a distance apart from each other. Whatever it was that he did here. And if somebody has this story or knows this story, I'd love to hear to clarify it.
1: Yeah, I feel like it, I feel like it warrants some further clarification because.
0: My phone a criminal I, record just because of that charge.
1: I feel like it would, would have been very, very difficult to pinpoint a 12-year-old that you do not know and, you know, snail mail her something in 1981. That's a lot of effort happening there uh, for like basically getting, (laughs) he ends up arrested and charged and pleading no contest. Right.
0: Yeah. And he doesn't get any time for it. He just gets some probation.
1: Which is, I mean, honestly, like they should have just thrown the picture away. I I mean, obviously (laughs) this, this, if nothing else, this story illustrates that. Right. Because uh, he gets, you know, not even a slap on the wrist. He gets literally nothing, even though he pleaded no contest. And it accomplished nothing because he went on to do terrible, more and more terrible things, right? Yeah. So if he hadn't have gotten attention from it, like he might have thought, well, this isn't going to work, right? I mean,
0: I do think him getting attention for it made him sort of hone in on how to perfect this level of stupidity. Um, I do
1: I think based on the way that some of the stuff is described, I do think a lot of his behavior was attention seeking.
0: Absolutely. He's reckless and he's attention seeking. I think that's the most accurate way to describe him. So, okay, let's just the next move he makes is smart though. He moves back in with his parents in in West Virginia in January of 1982. So basically uh the battery charge sort of unravels with susan it's a misdemeanor he gets probation but like he doesn't actually get convicted it's again deferred the no contest for sending the obscene material to the 12 year old girl gets him probation but you know it's a no contest plea he doesn't get any jail time and i i can't see where there's any kind of sentence attached to it if he violates the probation but he's on probably unsupervised probation based on his next move, which he moves back in January of 1982 all the way to West Virginia. So from that time till sometime in August, while he's 28 years old, he gets off of the radar and he goes west to California to take a commercial driving course. You know, I don't know if you remember this, but there used to be all these commercials like for these commercial driving courses where, They were like CDL commercials for different truck drivers. Yeah. Truck Mm -hmm. driving. Um, So he, they're very expensive. They're largely doing something that you don't need to pay that kind of schooling for, but whatever he does, his parents pay for it. Um, So he goes to California. So for most of 1982, he's not on the West Virginia or Florida radar I can't tell if he did anything in California. I can just tell you that he was supposedly there to essentially get the certifications needed for him to come back and apply to get his CDL, his commercial driver's license to drive trucks. In September of 1982, he does come home. He lives with his parents. He looks for trucking jobs, but he does not get hired. His parents describe him as sitting around the house most of the time doing Nothing
1: are his parents back together again?
0: Yeah, they're back together at this point.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: I was leaving that out, but but they they say like he didn't really talk to them. he didn't go out, he didn't really speak. He ends up getting hired on at the Huntington Veterans Administration Hospital, the VA Hospital as an X-ray technician, finally in February of nineteen eighty three.
1: So he got fired from his initial x-ray technician job. He goes like a really long way around uh, training to get a uh, CDL so he can drive a commercial truck just to end up back as an x-ray technician again. Correct. Okay.
0: Probably what this guy needs is some Adderall. Um, That probably would have solved some of the problems going on here and made some of the other ones worse. He's an x-ray technician. He's described as a polite and a good worker. Uh, in April of 1983, he he's hired on at the VA full-time. So they hired him on initially temporarily and part-time. And they end up hiring him on full-time. Unfortunately, in May of 1983, he gets fired because they can't figure out why he's making women patients undress for every single x-ray. Oh,
2: my gosh.
0: He literally... Is described as making his female patients needlessly undress. He is essentially making them undress for every single X-ray. Um. Well. Yeah. There's not much you can do with that. Do you
1: think? Well, yeah. You well, yeah. Um. I would. The, all I can say is, like, you don't need to get undressed, and it doesn't matter what the X-ray technician says. That's weird. Yeah. So, like it'll see, th- like it literally sees your bones. It can see through your clothes.
0: Yeah, in my mind, I think he's whatever he was doing with that twelve-year-old girl. He's picking out people here to do the same thing to. He's getting off on some kind of—I don't know if it's voyeuristic or if it's just control-related. He—he there's something wrong with him, obviously, but he's exercising something that ultimately gets him fired. From the Huntington Veteran Administration Hospital. How
1: long did he work there?
0: So he's hired on in February. He's temporary into March. Um, by April, he's full time and advancing. And so you got essentially February is about half a month. You got all of March. And then halfway through April, he's uh, hired on full time. And then by May, so three months, by May, he's fired. In May, he's fired.
1: See, I I feel like, you know, I'm going to take it for what it's worth because it's what we've got. But, like, um, that's a a big deal, right? I mean, to have your patients taking their clothes off. Um, I'm surprised they didn't call the cops, honestly, in a professional setting like that. But it sounds like they did, like, nip it in the bud pretty quick.
0: Okay. So this next part, (laughs) uh, this next part's a little weird. He buys a 1979 maroon two door Dodge Magnum in preparation to move back to Florida. Now, depending, this is not in the timeline the kids have. It depends on who you read. Um, it's not in the wiki at all. He does something, and my assumption was it's his getting fired from the X-ray tech job for making people take their, for making women take their clothes off while he x-rays them all of his criminal stuff comes back up. So I interpreted it as a violation of a deferred prosecution agreement. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, so they did call the cops.
0: I don't know. It doesn't say that here. Okay. And it actually says something different on the timeline I'm looking at. So I'm going to give you both versions of it and we can figure it out. So either I'm wrong and those other no contest agreements are just extended into the future and the sentencing is not probation or, and that's on the charge with Susan and that's on the charge of the 12 year old Tampa girl or something happened that made him come back in front of a judge. And that's going to come up here in a minute, which is why I mentioned it. So it's one way or the other. I'm going to tell you both as we go, because that's just like, they're both official records. July 1983, which is about two and a half months after he gets fired from the Huntington, West Virginia Veteran VA Hospital. He moves back down to Brandon, Florida, and he gets hired on pretty much immediately, temporarily, as an x-ray tech at the Humana Hospital in Brandon. He meets a woman there at a Fourth of July party, and he has sex with her. But the woman refuses to see him again because she says she doesn't like his attitude. I don't even know what that means. He's twenty nine years old. Uh, in August of nineteen eighty three, while he's working at the Humana Hospital, he meets a woman named Elise at the hospital. They both work there, and soon they become they begin um, they begin dating. Uh, Robert was so happy about this relationship that he calls his parents to to tell them he's been dating this woman. He's only been on a couple of dates with her, but that he really likes her. Okay. He starts attending church in August of 1983, because at least the woman that he's met and that he's dating is very religious. And he gets hit with $4,000 in back child support that he pretty much immediately is able to pay because his job is going well. Then in September of 1983, um, this is the official adjudication date of the battery charge with Susan. And that is probation. So I guess he had been maybe pre trial that whole time. One timeline said he had already gone through the court process. It's a long time. It's, it's literally two years afterwards. But ultimately, um, he's sentenced to probation for that. He gets mad at being sentenced to probation and being found guilty. He writes numerous letters uh, declaring his innocence to the judge and to everyone in the courthouse. And I don't know how this works, but somehow the judge gives him a quote, new trial. Take that for what you want to hear on it. Um, I think what happened there is he basically gave his own notice of appeal in writing, but they took it that way because they didn't know what else to do with his Chicken scratch. Does that make sense?
1: I mean, it makes something.
0: <laughs> so, you know, that that's written that way several different places. Um, once I saw the Radford kids had it too, I was like, you know what? I'll just run with that. I don't think they had my other source. I'm going to run with, like, he got a new trial. Um, because that's that's how it's said. But his letters are nonsense. And the court even recognizes that they're nonsense. So in November of 1983, he ends up getting two days in jail for sending a photograph accompanied with an obscene letter to that 12-year-old girl in Tampa. But it reads like a probation violation. And we do quick dips today. I don't know that quick dips were a thing back then. A quick dip is when a judge really wants to violate you and make you do the entire sentence of whatever your suspended sentences that you're on probation for. But instead they put you back on probation and they just give you a little quick dip or a, you know, a week in jail or a weekend in jail or something. Um, it
1: makes you realize you don't want to be there. Yeah.
0: They're trying to remind you to get your shit together. So essentially that's what it looks like they did to him. Um, and then in February of 1984, he gets his retrial on his assault charge or battery charge with Susan the person he had lived with. And he is acquitted. Um, And at this point in time in 1984, he has continued to date Elise and he has continued to go to church. But it's also when he gets into his biggest trouble. The fact that he's going to church at this time is probably going to infuriate some of our listeners. But I can't make this shit up. Um, There's absolutely no way to make this shit up. All right. March 6th of 1984. He officially becomes the classified ad rapist. And this is his first premeditated rape where he has selected his victim from a newspaper ad. A woman in Newport, Ritchie, Florida, has put her house on the market. And she basically has taken out an ad in the classified real estate section stating the price and the amenities of the house. And Robert Long calls the phone number in the ad, and he makes an appointment to come and see her to tour the home under the pretext of making an offer to purchase the home. While touring the interior of the house, Robert pulls out a gun and he forces the victim into the bedroom. He proceeds to rape her, and he steals her jewelry. He gets home, and he does the same thing, keeps the nicest pieces of jewelry to give to Elise, and he palms the rest of it. At the end of March of 1984, Long quits his job at the Humana Hospital. There's a lot of problems that come up with the next go round of this. And I'm debating like, do we want to talk about this now? Do we want to go to the next episode? I think this episode is going to run a little long because I think we should get to the first victim. I have never seen somebody that um, acts like this. And I have questions for you. So let's just like take a look at, at some of this stuff. Now, what his MO is here... Hold on, let me back up a second, because I think there's something wrong with this timeline. You know, it's interesting. The mainstream media gets all of this wrong, and I don't know how to fix it from what the court records say. They actually, uh, while we're sitting here talking, I had clicked over to the Wikipedia, and they say that he was tried and convicted for rape in 1981. That's not actually true. Um, That's actually so far from, that's all fucked up. That's a problem with the the mainstream timeline on this. What I was trying to figure out here is, so 1984, March 6, 1984, is his first premeditated rape, according to some of the court documents and according to the Radford timeline.
1: Well, he was raping prostitutes um, in 81. That's what he said, or what is... Uh
0: so I guess we'll count those as. Hmm. Well, okay. Let me tell you why I'm having like like trouble articulating what I want to say next. This is important. If he has raped 50 women and this is his first premeditated rape, then I'm kind of wrong on some of my thinking. Um, and the reason for that is on March 27th, 1984 Robert realizes that he is Very Close to two things one of those is getting caught So, you know, he's gonna get caught he's leaving witnesses He's now had an experience with Susan. He went through the ringer with Cynthia, but he's now dating Elise and he had this whole thing happen with this 12 year old girl and and you know, he's shown that he's volatile individual. So he doesn't want to go to court. He doesn't want to leave witnesses. That was my original thinking. And that's why I asked you some of the questions that I have been asking about like John Cooper, when we were looking at the Welsh serial killer.
1: Right.
0: I was asking you those questions. Cause I'm curious, like what you think caused this. And so I'm going to disagree with the Radford kids for just a minute, because they have an interesting take on this. I'm going to, tell you their take he's 30 years old when all this is happening by the way by the time you know 1984 rolls around he's he turns 30 um, and this is where the first like serious rape took place but also where the first murder took place the first murder victim is a sex worker it's a 20 year old girl named Artis a-r-t-i-s-s and wick What's interesting about her is nobody knows it happened. He's on probation uh, for some of the stuff that he's still that's still sort of spilling over in 1984. Um, I think what he's actually on probation for at this time is the obscene materials. The different things I've read about him say that he was on probation for assault, but I think his probation for assault is over. I think he's literally just on probation for the 12-year-old.
1: Okay, but I I, let me make sure I understand this because um, the assault was on Susan, right?
0: No. uh, Yes, but he gets a new trial and that's kicked. He would not have been on probation at this time because he was acquitted in February of
1: 1984. But he
0: had a long... Mm, no, because that was the deferred prosecution. That wouldn't actually be probation. I'm thinking of Cynthia, but that's years ago. He's
1: down to just the dis- disseminating... Uh,
0: the obscene, obscene material. Yeah. That's, and, so the Wikipedia is wrong. If you guys go read, a lot of the stuff on the wiki for the Robert Long stuff is wrong. He's not well, on probation for assault. He's on probation for disseminating obscene material
1: that's the best we can tell uh, but we it is uh pretty much without question uh, after he did some weird stuff having with whatever happened he did get exonerated um, acquitted whatever you want to say uh, for the assault so that's not true right okay
0: right yeah so that's he's definitely not on um, he's not on probation for the battery charge and that battery charge was a offensive touching charge it's not a rape that's also in the wiki. It says it's the first time he was charged with rape. She accused him of rape, but that's not what's going on here. What he what he was found guilty of was pushing her down the stairs. And these rape. were two people who lived together.
1: And uh, the accusation of rape, uh, they couldn't make any sort of determination. It was after that that he pushed her down the stairs, and that's what brought that about.
0: Right. Okay, so I want to talk to you about this. Is my question here, and I was I was about to go a different direction, but I'm gonna hold some of my thoughts. So in my observations of this guy, I think this is the tri I think his trigger and his spiral here is so sprawling because of the divorce from Cynthia. That's the first big trigger, right?
1: Um I don't think that, no.
0: So Cynthia files for divorce in June of 1980. He starts raping prostitutes in 81. That's the best we can tell. So I think that's the first big trigger. And that's also when he lost the job and moved in with Susan. Does that make sense? So 1980, she files for divorce. He moves in with Susan. And then he moves out from Susan and her roommate. And Susan moves in with him. Um, but by mid-1981 he's raping prostitutes and Susan accuses him of, of rape.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, maybe it is. Um but, uh, go, ahead. But go ahead and
0: say what you go ahead and say what you're thinking because I'm trying to put my thoughts together on this part.
1: Well, what I'm thinking isn't very nice. I do think that it could have been the point, which I guess it would be a trigger, but I think when he has had this lifelong friend or you know a friend for a really long time that he subsequently married Cynthia right
2: yeah
1: and then he loses that relationship um i think that he may have allowed himself to sort of give up and that's why he just you know he's he he starts raping prostitutes at that point right
0: yeah
1: um he I don't know where his job situation ends up, but like he sort of, you know, bounces around for a little bit. Right. Right. Um, and it, it seems like, you know, when people can't, when people are in a constant job turnover or a rapid job turnover, there's characteristics that are going to come up that are pretty much across the board. Right. Yeah. Um, people that, have trouble keeping a job will have things in common with other people who have trouble keeping a job. And so you can sort of get an impression there of like the kind of person he is. I would say that just like I was saying he was reckless and I imagine he had sort of a, like, I don't care type attitude. Right. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: as far as like, you know, I don't care, just fire me. Or, you know, he, he did things, uh, without regard for caution at all it seems like that to me but I think that he did keep to an extent he tried to keep himself sort of um, uh, on some path with his wife right until they were divorced the thing about that is that I feel like it kind of diverts from that sort of thinking because he meets a new woman, right? That he's yeah. interested in, and he like you know he's going to church and uh, what else did he do?
0: There, uh, so he gets hired. You know he, he's working with her at the hospital at Humana. Um, he goes to church. He catches up on some of his back child support. He's defending himself against these various charges in court at the end of 83 and the beginning of 84. And that includes the 12 year old girl stuff. And that includes the stuff with Susan, the the roommate that he had. Um, The problem I have is, so this first premeditated rape, according to multiple sources, this is the first one that's a premeditated rape, meaning it's not a date rape. It's not raping a prostitute. And I don't, you know, I don't want to sit here and say, okay, raping a sex worker is different than, I don't want to do all that. Uh, what I I just this is marked as the first time that he went somewhere with like a rape kit to, to rape a woman in March of 1984. But then he also has his first murder victim that same month, and that's with Ann Wick. You know, he picks her up for sex in Tampa. The allegation is that he didn't feel satisfied from raping her. So he strangled her and discovered that he liked that. Like strangling her to death got him off. And that is where his 1984 takes a hell of a turn.
1: And so for all, and so for everything we know, that was the very first time he killed someone.
0: Yeah, from everything we know, he's 30 years old. That's about right, you know, 27 to 32. That's about right for a serial rapist to escalate to murder. So what he does next um, is a little strange, but I think this is where his second trigger happens. So in April of 1984, he abducts a woman named Mary Hicks at gunpoint. She's driving along in her Jaguar. Now Hicks escapes him. She deliberately crashes the car and she runs away from him. Later on, he ends up having to pay damages on the vehicle and he ends up getting three years probation for that. But the other thing that happens to him in 1984 is he discovers that Elise, who he had been working with at Humana Hospital and had left Humana Hospital, is having an affair. Long's parents talk to him long distance his mother calls to console him because he is devastated by this betrayal. Um, he complains to her, it's a quote from her, that there were no good women left in the world anymore. And he says that he's very depressed over this relationship failing after his relationship with Cynthia had failed and his inability to find employment. Then May 3rd of 1984, he does get hired on as an electrician for Gulf Bay Electric in Tampa, Florida. And I cut you off there. I'm sorry about that. Go ahead.
1: Uh, no problem. I wanted to go back just for a second with the first pre- premeditated. No, this it was the second. And I assume from the first premeditated rape forward, those are all going to be premeditated.
0: Yeah. He's carrying um, a rape kit at this point.
1: Okay. And so with um, artist Wick, he felt unsatisfied after he sexually assaulted her. And so um, why did he strangle her? It wasn't to kill her. It was because he was unsatisfied, right? Right. It was a expression of anger.
0: Absolutely. It's an expression of rage.
1: Okay. And so trying to taking out his rage on her, he discovers that that alleviated it. Right. And that he, he got some sort of gratification out of it Correct. from killing her. Right. With his bare hands. I imagine. I, I don't actually know, but there's no indication that like, obviously it, it is a premeditated murder, but like he didn't go, okay, I'm going to become this murderer. Right.
0: Yeah. And so, uh- that's a good place if it's okay if we just talk about this. And I think this is where we'll leave this episode where I was leading you earlier was I thought he had probably made a conscious decision. When I first started like researching this guy, I thought he had made a conscious decision to erase witnesses because of all the legal trouble leading up to this. I figured it would be like something where he was graduating in terms of like, okay, for the audience. And I know you'll know some of this, but, for the audience. I thought he was an organized killer graduating to the next level. uh, I thought he was an organized predator graduating to being an organized killer where he's eliminating witnesses. I now think, you know, part of what we're talking about today is I changed my mind. I think he's a disorganized killer who was taking one step and accidentally took two steps. So, He's raging out, he can't get off raping this woman, and then he discovers that he can get off on choking her, that's what I'm gonna call the first part, and he really gets off when he strangles her and kills her. So he moves like to the the murder because he's disorganized. I mean, he Wait, has so a rape, we-
1: dead, but he's disorganized. So to answer your question, no, I don't think he's killing witnesses. I I know we just worked all the way through that together, but, um, so I, I knew that there was an issue. I just couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there you go. And I wonder, so you don't get this sort of like account from all too many people, right?
0: No, you really don't. Like we miss a lot of what was happening and I I felt like this was important to watch. You know, I called it Genesis, but it's literally the origin of like a predator that we're watching.
1: It is and so when you ask me about the trigger being his his the separation from his wife and ultimately they got divorced um, and he is no longer with his family, right I, I I sort of answered the question wrong. I do think that that was a trigger for the activity, but what is happening to him? Um, so we have to look at his personality for a second. So he is um, raping. He, he's raped uh, prostitutes in the past. He has, uh, you know, now like basically uh, confirmed that, you know, he had a premeditated rape and then he had another premeditated rape that he left unsatisfied and he ended up murdering the victim and that that's what satisfied him there. And then just a little bit further, because after he commits the murder his first murder he quits his job right um so psychologically you've got something happening right and or maybe it's before i'm not really sure but
0: so it's after he commits the first burglary kit rape like the the rape kit rape like when he goes and rapes the woman in newport Richie who's selling her house he quits his job after that
1: okay and so it's right before his first murder right yeah Okay and so you know what's going on in his head right well he the whole thing about going to an open house or going to tour a house and like he that's all where you're getting the organized part from right cuz that's a plan right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. okay and so the next uh thing that i notice is you've got this guy that the n- next month it appears so after he's like kind of said yes i was uh, pre, I had premeditated these crimes. I did them. Um, he is then, his world falls apart because he discovers that his girlfriend is having an affair with another man.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's sort of the ultimate, I think for a guy like Robert Long, that is the ultimate betrayal because this is the person who helped you heal from the other thing that happened. She's right. been here through all of
1: his life and now... but. But, okay, so I agree with all that you're saying, and I understand it. But let's think about what's in his head for a second. Because you've got a guy going, well, I've been raping women, and I just murdered my first victim, but you cheated on me. (laughs) Right? Oh, my God. And so you you think about the person that does that, right? Yeah. And then in what we're looking at here. His mother says to him, you know, she calls him to console him over the devastating betrayal that Elise has done against him. And he tells her, you know, there's no good women left anymore. Right. And um, he's in this, like, really uh, deep depression over this failed relationship.
2: Right.
1: And it... It becomes this like association, I would imagine. I, I don't know what he was thinking, but to me, anytime something's going on in your life, uh, for example, right after he committed his first premeditated rape and right before he committed his uh, first murder, he quit his job, right? So that's an yep. association that's going to be there, right?
2: Yep.
1: And uh, call it, when he's talking to his mother... Um, that his mother's act behavior is what I was initially going to say was like probably one of the first triggers. That's not right. Um, it was the, that's what started him down this weird path, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because he had he had feelings about his mother's behavior that he couldn't control and he couldn't do anything about it. Right. And that goes all the way
0: back to his childhood.
1: Right, exactly. Um, When his mother wasn't paying attention to him, like all the things that come up, you know, leading to before he became friends with Cynthia, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, All of that stuff. And it's just like this transference almost because uh, he – he needs this attention that he's not getting, yeah, and he's completely oblivious to the fact that, like, you know, you can't really be say that your girlfriend's betraying you when you're like raping A and rapist
0: murderer, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and so, you know, I have no, qu- I, I know why she was uh seeing another man because she is her boyfriend is an unemployed loser, right. Um, It's not the
0: unemployed part that makes him a loser, but yeah.
1: Oh, no. Yeah, no. It's the murder-rapist part. Um, But, like, somebody that's using their time to do that, right, it's it's no wonder that he's not able to sustain his otherwise healthy relationship. I I feel like up until that point, he was sort of compartmentalizing, and that relationship was normal, right? As normal as it probably could be. I, d- I don't see any reports of her like saying that he was abusive towards her or anything like that, right?
0: That's because she had a boyfriend on the side. She wasn't around enough to be abused by him.
1: Well, right, but I'm just saying that, like, it's... You're
0: 100% correct, sorry. It's
1: interesting to see that, and then the breakdown, right?
0: Yeah. So what happens next is on May 3rd of 1984... Uh, Robert ends up getting a new job with Bay Electric in Tampa, Florida. And that is where we're going to pick up in the next episode because now it really gets good. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would ask if you guys like the show, please share the show. Or you can go on to your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple or Google or uh, one of the more interesting apps, Spotify, Overcast. uh, We're on all those different things. If you could go on there and leave us a a rating or a review. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to leave us a five-star review, but like whatever you think of the show, leave an honest review of the show uh, because that will help us to grow our audience in season four. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CrimeXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at True XS. or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365- 5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at truecrimexs at gmail.com and you can check out our website at www.truecrimexs.com. We'll see you next time.
2: i mm-hmm.